Ko urihi e ako manu topatopa ki runga ki te rangita ki ni mai ana te ata ki runga i te toi huarewa o ngā riki. Ka tia ria ria ka tuarehu maturua i te anganga ka pua tailangi ko te atu. Ara mai te tōkia haumi e hui e taiki e. This week on The Hui. Ngaitahu are managing their own white bait season in Canterbury and restoring this customary right for their people. So we start earlier than the recreational and we finish later than the recreational. But it's not without its challenges. There's been a lot of hate from certain parts of the community. And with the special votes in, we're back talking politics with our panel of experts. Ngā mate tu ātini tini o te wā haramai haere. Tātou e whakaurupā mai nei a rātou mā ki te henengaro ti hewa maudiora and welcome back to the hui. Whitebait may be a delicacy, but it's also a taonga species for the South Island iwi of Kaitau. However, overfishing and habitat loss is a threat to whitebaiting. A customary season for Canterbury hapu, Kaitua Huriri, is now underway, which is getting whānau back on the water, although not without some ripple effects. Mēnei Tupurongo, Amiriana Johnson. The Waimakariri River into Waiponamu. Keen whitebaiters get in early to secure the best spots. The closer you are to the river mouth, the better. The guys at the front, so they get the first lift, so they get the big lifts, and uh, hopefully they leave some for us. For these die-hard whitebaiters, this is what it's all about. Got to have those big lifts, you know. Uh, it's all about them. The thrill of the catch draws out hundreds every year. However, the tide is turning. Everyone with dollars in their eyes, people are out there to make money. And it really impacts on being able to get on the awa and just catch a simple feed. We get pushed out of spots, we can't fish. We're competing against syndicates that are rotating around the clock. So for me, growing up as a, as a young child, some of my first memories right here on the Sawa with my father, learning how to white bait. We would come and live seasonally. We would spend months here. What came from that was the learning of the harvesting and the respect for those species, but also their relationships they have within our natural environment. These waterways are the lifeblood of the Kaituahuriri people. Rakahuri, Kaiapoi and the mighty Waimakariri. Kiutukitai, from the mountains to the ocean. But they haven't always been able to enjoy this bounty. Māori use kupinga or nets woven from harakeke to catch whitebait. In the mid-1800s, colonial settlers introduced trout, which were given special protections, and kupinga were banned. Our whānau were being prosecuted for catching trout in their nets. We were being blocked from access to these rivers, our main ancestral harvesting areas. And even myself, growing up as a teenager, at times I'd have the police come up and move me off the river because there was no understanding of customary rights. Kaitahu's 150-year battle to have rights recognised was finally settled in 1997. Now, backed by Doc, 
they're managing their own whitebait season. So we, we start earlier than the recreational and we finish later than the recreational. And that gives us that time to carry on our customs of being who we are and our place to pass on to our future generations. But they've had some backlash. There's been a lot of hate from certain parts of the community, straight out racist, you know, horrible threats. There is a really large element of the community that don't know New Zealand's history. They've only had the propaganda that they've been taught over the last 170 years, and they don't truly know how Māori and mana whenua have been impacted. All they see is what they call us having a privilege, but it's actually us just accessing our rights. Makarini decides who can get a permit for the customary season. So those whanaus that still hold ahi car, the other whanaus that will have access to a permit. Upstream on the smaller rivers and tucked away off side roads are the quieter fishing spots. You should be able to see them coming because they kind of dance on the surface of the water. Pauline Crofts and son Joseph Hullen first started coming to three streams over 50 years ago. Used to be yeah. the best watercress over there too before they put the subdivision in. Pauline, who's in her 80s, is back out on the water for the first time in decades. She got a customary permit. So you don't wipe bait during the recreation season? Oh, no, because it's too hard to get on the river. For our farm, no, there's one permit. Mum's the permit holder. The permit entitles us to one net, and so it's limited. It's not a wholesale right for us to come down and just empty out as much as we can. Overfishing is one of the reasons four out of six whitebait species are threatened. There's also loss of wetlands where the whitebaits spawn. The hapū alongside the council are focused on restoring these wetlands with a little help from Mother Nature. With the earthquakes back in uh, 2011, it dropped the land, and the land was originally wetlands. So what came back uh, really great spawning habitat for a lot of our species. And we are seeing that as a plus for our inaka. Joseph is also involved in wetland restoration. We've got a 200-year vision to restore it to a fully functioning indigenous ecosystem, complete with native species, whether they be birds or aquatic. That includes the Rakahuri Estuary, a significant place for Mahikukai. Today, it's also a classroom for these year seven and eight students from Tuahiwi School. There's no white bait running, so instead, a bit of history. About five years ago, this bank was out there where that shingle was. That's how much the floods and that have taken away from us. Ivan Rupene comes up here for the white bait season. He keeps an eye on things. They've been there two days in a row now. Right. That means there must be a bit of bait there. OK, that's a good sign. It is. Not everyone on the river is respectful. The most annoying that we're having is these bloody idiots, rich little buggers, and their flash four-wheel drives coming down there on the other side, the wildlife. They're mm. killing them. Oh. 
He's hoping these tamariki walk away with respect for this mahikukai. Further south, Makarini's cousin Te Mareno is sharing some of his catch. It looks like about a pound there, Cuz. Nice, nice. Oh, nice. Look at that. How often do you guys eat white worms during the season? Funny enough, this season, I've had maybe two feeds, because I, I just make sure everyone else is fed. Yeah. 70, 80 percent of my catch goes to other people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel lucky to be able to do it. Have people like Maka, my cousin here, to teach me and uncles and that, and for it to still be here. This is about us living the life our ancestors wanted us to live, and we haven't had the freedom to do that. It's really important for us to recognise uh, that no rights exist without responsibilities, that it's not just about coming and taking, it's coming and taking to give. Are you ready? Taste test. No white bread, we don't need it. It's <laughs> not too hot, is it? That is so good. After the break, we have our political panel of experts and their reaction to the final vote count from election 2023. Professor Ella Henry, Guy Nespina and Dr Lara Greaves join us after this. We have our revered and respected rank of reputable political respondents here with us now. She is the Professor of International Business Strategy and Entrepreneurship at AUT University. He is an investigative journalist at RNZ and a political commentator extraordinaire on the reputable and sublime RNZ political podcast, The Caucus, Guy and Espina <laughs> no way. And she is the Associate Professor at the School of History, Philosophy, Political Science and International Relations at Victoria University. Te waka, Dr Lara Greaves. Tēnā koe. Tēnā Welcome. OK. Wow. Māori Party. <laughs> Special mm. votes. What the heck happened there, Professor? Well, we talked before the election about the inclination in the past for a more left-leaning um, vote, and, and I guess that came through. But I think for the Māori Party, what it also showed is that Māori were being very strategic. They were voting for the candidate of their choice, but they were still giving their party vote to Labour. So I think that was a strong message to yeah. the Labour Party. We're still with you, but you need to do some work. And you saw that in Taitokarau, three candidates who hunt Linden on the list in the Greens, mm. Maria Menokapa Kingi, obviously, for the Māori Party as a candidate, and now the MP, and of course, Kevin Davis got on the list and of Labour. And some absolutely extraordinary talent yeah. who, over time, I think, are going to mature into really important leaders of the future politically. So I think Māori won many things. I on have the to day. give you your dues. You said that the Māori Party would get 5%, <laughs> and I laughed, and then they got six out of seven seats. Seize so the I... correct <laughs> All of 
of us. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> so I just wanted to give you a juice. Um, I'm going this, but as much of a, as a dream for the Māori Party, the result was this is a nightmare for Chris Luxon, isn't it? Because he now has to deal with Winston Peters. Oh, it, it is. This is the nightmare scenario. This is the one, remember, I mean, it seems a long time ago that they were warning about, oh, you could have another election. because, And this is the scenario that has been delivered to him where he can't move without New Zealand first and act. And so it becomes very, very difficult for him. And you can already see with Winston Peters and David Seymour uh, sort of playing a game of chicken in the middle of the road and seeing who'll blink or who'll respond to a text message. Uh, Winston obviously thought David's were, were fake. Um, it's not a great start, to be honest, for, for, um, for, for Christopher Luxon. I think he's really going to have his work cut out managing these two. How bad could this get? Do you think? Pretty bad, I, really? I think. Yeah, I do, because also you saw in that 17 to 20 period where um, Winston had Labour over a barrel in terms of numbers, that every now and again, three strikes is a good example, where Andrew Little was going to pull it through and, and, and knock three strikes off the statutes. Uh, suddenly Winston Peters and New Zealand First decided, no, that's not going to happen. So he can sit there in Sniper's Alley and pick off policies. He can still do that because they need his eight votes to, to actually govern. And I, I think this is going to make it very difficult for Christopher Luxon, in my view. The opportunity is there, isn't there, Dr Lara agrees, for a really strong left-leaning coalition and opposition here. Mm. You know, the Māori Party with yep. six members, the Green Party with, I think, four yep. uh, Māori members on the list, and, of course, um, Labour with all its Māori members. I mean, there is, there is the opportunity here, if Winston and Act really push to do something against Māori policy here, for a really strong opposition to organise themselves, coordinate well before the next election. Yeah, and I mean, one of the moments in the election for me, thinking of sort of, yeah, the key moments, was when Debbie Narewa Packer and Marama Davison high-fived one another in that power brokers debate, because it is showing that they're kind of quite similar in policy there on the left. So it, there is an opportunity now for there to be cooperation and for there to be opposition. I think we've kind of learnt through MMP and through recent, say, like the Labour leadership struggles um, post-Helen Clark and, of course, the struggles for National. We've kind of seen that parties can tear themselves to pieces and we've seen that time and time again like there's clear evidence base for that so I mean for Labour's sake I hope that they figure out what to do around the leadership and have a peaceful transition of power or whatever it is because they think it's the model for being opposition is, is it's evolving over time and it's a bit clearer now. You've gone exactly where I was going to go to in the next break but that's okay <laughs> we can do it now. I mean is, is, is Christopher Hipkins the guy that Labour needs as an opposition leader, given it seems like what people wanted was more left-leaning policy, and you've got a guy who raced to the centre in the election campaign. Yeah, I think it's a hard one because the, when when there was the leadership contest, if you think back to what was it, I don't even know, it was, it's, it's all happened so quickly when Ardern <laughs> resigned, is that you know when we were thinking names off the top of our head, actually a lot of those people like Kitty Allen and Michael Wood, the next generation of leader, are gone mm. like they're not really they're not there so you can't it's hard to think of where Labour will go next and whether it is a case of Hipkins staying in as a safe pair of hands he's committed to the party and just sitting there and being the leader and trying to be effective opposition versus them trying to roll the dice of someone more inexperienced and then there's that possibility they would then have that instability, that leaking, the, the caucus attacking one another and all that kind of drama. Yeah, the special votes could also count against someone like Penny Hernare, who I, who I think is, sees himself and others see him as a leader, potential leader for the, for the Labour Party. Um, does he, by the way, go for a recount? 
Only four oh, votes I, now? I, I or should we leave be, it as I is? I think they would be mad if they didn't, because it's a procedural uh, opportunity yeah. to them. Um, I don't think it would change much, but at the end of the day, we've got two very strong candidates in, in different parties in Parliament. Um, and if the Labour Party is able to spend the next couple of years being introspective and going back to its, its flax roots about what it represents and who it represents, I think it will come out of this process much, much stronger. Can, can I ask a question about who do you think... <clears throat> Let's talk about the Māori seats here. I mean, Willie Jackson was the Māori electorate campaign manager, right? Uh, Kelvin Davis, a deputy leader of the party. Um, you could argue that they had a really poor performance given they've lost... They've only won one seat, which I, I is think, the, the one they had I the least time to campaign I think it's balancing poor performance on the one hand with extraordinary performance on the other. Yeah. Let's be very clear. I believe the Māori Party galvanised the rangatahi vote. I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait a while to see, but if you look at the voting patterns, which I want to mm. in more depth, as you will, mm. around those parts of West yep. Auckland, South Auckland, the Māori strong, where there is a high level of rangatahi, I, I guarantee we're going to find very high representation. And that's what we want for the future. We want engaged rangatahi who yep. care politically because by the next election they're going to still be there in the mix. I want to talk about policy in the next break but go on, I, I just wondered how was this talk between Luxon, Seymour and Peters, how is this going to work? <laughs> I, think... I mean Luxon and Seymour and Peters can't stand each other. No they can't and I think um, a, a, again Seymour has been, I think he overplayed his hand in the campaign and I think some of the things that he said about Winston Peters he'll be regretting. I mean Peters is a revenge guy, he, he, he has a long memory and um, you know I think that might be some of the reason that um, David Seymour's not getting his calls or his text messages <laughs> being answered, answered, answered right now. They talk about wanting to be in the same room at each other you know and talk to each other and, and, and try and negotiate something. I mean, how long is this going to take? Well, yeah. they want to get cracking pretty soon. So um, it, I think most of that depends on how Winston Peters plays yeah. his hand. I really do. I think David Seymour's re ready yeah. to get cracking. And obviously, uh, National and Act are, are pretty close and had a, had a good working relationship. They wanted to be, you know, in the marriage on their own. Now there's a third person in the marriage. And it just really depends how Winston Peters uh, plays his hand. One of the big things that I'll be really fascinated to see is whether Act gets this referendum question on mm. the treaty through. I think it could it could poison and contaminate Luxon's whole, um, you know, whole term. Um, and already you've got politicians with real mana, like James Shaw and Willie Jackson, saying it could be a very violent and toxic brew. I don't think Luxon wants that. So for me, that'll be one of the key things that I'm, I'm looking out mm. for, to see whether or not he will allow that through from ACT, who have taken that as a bottom line. And JT signalled that as well the day after the election, actually, on our, on our coverage. We'll come to, to Lara after the break, so what to talk about. We'll talk about the referendum mm -hmm. uh, and whether or not that will happen after this. Stay with us. We have more from our political panel of experts on the Hui after the break. We're back with bad. We have Professor Ella Henry, Mr Guy Nespinan, and Dr Laura Greaves uh, with us. We were talking about the referendum before the break mm. from Guy. Mm. Is the referendum going to happen, do you think, Dr Greaves? Uh, it's hard to see it happening. 
But I think because, like, I've been teaching Indigenous politics, and I've been looking at all these different referenda that have been happening around the world, like the Australian Voice to Parliament one, and really been reflecting on, like, what a horrible experience it would actually be <laughs> for everyone. And, like, when I grew up, honestly, the Forshaw and Seabed and the Orewa speech were actually quite formative in my political years as a teenager observing that. And I think about what would happen if Rangatahi Māori, the ones that Dr Henry was saying, like, that have just a kind of becoming politicised and getting into voting, what that would do to everyone. And I think about that demographic shift that's happening, that, like, Māori are a young population, one in three children in 2040 born in this country will be Māori, and just the impact that that would have on them politically mm. and have on their then view of national and thinking that that would be national's fault. In the New Zealand election study, we see around the Dombrash Orewa speech, you know, Māori viewing national this way and then dip. Like, honestly, and they've been rebuilding back in that time, but it's still, it was the Ōrewa speech in that, that disunity and hate. And then there's the, the point about what is the question going to be? I mean, you just can't say treaty, yes or no? <laughs> well, you could. <laughs> you could. It would be provocative. I mean, what, what I see out of that whole scenario is a return to the, the protests of 2004, 2005, mm. yeah. you know, and, and how it was galvanised, and you're quite right. Mm. Um, there will be a new generation of empowered uh, activists coming mm. out of that kind of thing, and it's going to be very, very ugly moving into the next election cycle, so I don't know that Luxon would want that on his plate. Well, I don't think Luxon wants it at all, and in fact, he's been very clear, hasn't he, before the election, yeah. uh, that he didn't want it. I mean, you might, if you were national, be able to nudge, act in the direction of, or maybe you should initiate a citizens-initiated referendum or some other mechanism, and, and act can run around the country campaigning on that, even for 2026. Yeah. I, I think Luxon will be doing everything in his power to make sure that this doesn't happen, because it could suck up all the oxygen. He wants to yeah. be talking about the economy, law and order. He doesn't want to be faced with, with this, which would be a real spillover toxic brew, in my view. Uh, we, we also know that Winston isn't necessarily a fan of tax cuts. I mean, will we still see tax cuts in some way, shape or form? I think that, I think yeah. that we will, okay. is, is, my, is my view. Um, I, I, I think that he will get, Luxon will get his, um, Nicola Willis as, as finance minister, and, and the bulk of, of his economic programme th through. Um, there may be um, some modifications to the tax cuts, but I think he's campaigned too hard on it. He, he, Absolutely. He, he, didn't he basically say he yeah. would resign if he didn't um, have cut... And Nicola Willis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah Nicola Willis, So yeah, I just yeah. don't think that, 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 that smaller parties will, will be able to deny The him. dilemma is how they're going to afford it and yeah. which parts, which arms of government yes. are going to be sacrificed yeah. to pay for that because that's where I think we're going to have the most negative impacts mm. for our Māori, our disadvantaged and most poor and vulnerable. Mm. And a cut to bureaucracy. And Decentralisation. Well, which bureaucracy? That's the trick. Well, and, I think he's, yeah. he's talking about calling them all in for at least a 5 or 6% uh, haircut, isn't he? Um, and ACT wants it a, a, a lot more than that. So, yeah, and, and at a time of rising unemployment, it's still low, but it's ticking up. Um, that isn't going to be welcomed yeah. either. And what about also, you know, there was talk of a raise uh, in uh, superannuation entitlements, raise in age. Is that going to happen? I think with Winston. In there. I think that's, yeah, that, that anything to do, I feel like anything to do with superannuation, anything to do with that, that foreign home buyers coming in with the $2 million to raise money for the tax cuts, anything around those kind of key pillars of sort of Winston Peters, I guess him as a word cloud, him as like sort of policies over the last <laughs> 30, 40 years, you know, it, it's like you think, you think anything immigration, foreign 
and home buyers and anything superannuation and like grey power, you know. And the other one, of course, that's interesting in that is anything provincial growth fund and like regional Māori development because that's another thing they seem to vibe with. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think raising the age of eligibility for super as ACT and National wanted to do is gone. gone. Winston Peters won't allow that. My, my own view is that he, he would um, allow the uh, foreign buyers tax um, mechanism in. I, 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 don't, I can't see him dying over, in the ditch over that. Yeah. He will not allow the, the super entitlement mm. um, age of uh, eligibility to, to rise, in my view. Can, can I, um, Professor, ask a question about Ikoroa Rafati? Mm. What happened there? I mean, would the Māori Party have been better off to keep Heather Teo Skipworth... Oh, no, I'm going back, sorry. But, no, no, no. but Heather Teo Skipworth to yeah. keep her as the candidate, because mm. if they had, she would have won, wouldn't she? I mean, it's... It, it, if we look at each of these electorates as their own discrete entity, yeah. Yeah. which to a large extent they are, there are different whakapapa politics at play yeah. in all of them, and I think that that is something that, that, that they'll have to go away and have a think about, you know, because um, okay. whakapapa politics is very, very powerful. It's very potent in Tao Māori, and we can see that happened in a number of other places as well. So, so the reason I ask this is... And I think this has been mentioned um, by the person actually who ran the Labour Party campaign in the Māori elections <laughs> about a strategic partnership or yeah. something, an agreement being done with the Māori Party by the Labour yeah. Party, which basically says, all right, you fellas have the electorates, yeah. we'll get your party vote, and that will strengthen our collective hand and position before the next election. I mean, could yeah. that happen? I mean, I'd be a masterstroke. It would be a, a politically adroit. Yeah. I'm not sure. But then you just get the overhang removed in yeah. terms of electoral politics because that's then people would be outraged. The moment anyone thinks that Māori are doing anything like, like pretty much the moment Māori are doing, like literally just fulfilling basic rights in the system, everyone thinks Māori are playing the system, right? So then they're going to say, oh, Māori are getting special rights and privileges with the overhang and then they'll get rid of it. Mm. That's I, well, what they would do. I, I thought it was fascinating that Willie Jackson did say that, but I think Labour would be trying to bank on getting them back when the tide comes back in. Uh, because, look, we are talking, I mean, it's an extraordinary result, right, what the Māori yeah. Party did this time, but let's remember that who had all the Māori seats in 1996? Yeah. A party called New Zealand First. Yeah. And Where maybe, did they all go in 1999? Yeah. All back to Labour. Then they lost them when the the Māori Party and Tariana Tudia came in in the mid part of that decade. So, so Māori will chuck you out if you're not seen to be delivering. Yeah. So I, I think, my, yeah. my own view is that if, if the tide comes back in for Labour in a, in a term or two, they may well get those seats back. I mean, I, I think the strategic um, partnership stuff is an interesting idea. I can't mm. see Labour going for it. But with the Greens, like maybe they, maybe it's Party Māori and the Greens should get together, because if you look at Te Tokoro and Tamaki Makaurau, the two kind of closer ones in the end, they had Green candidates running and getting two free thousand votes so maybe that that's time for the Greens they've never run a full suite of candidates in the both, their, both their candidates in Tamaki Makoto and Taitokoro made it on the list as well that was of course Professor Ella Henry Mr Guy Nespina and Dr Lara Greaves coming up next week on the Hui Gangs of Aotearoa Side by side, bitter rivals. There's gangs like the Mongol Mob in here, the Black Power, the Killer Bees, uh, the Headhunters, the Bloods, the Crips. Once divided, now doing it together. More than 200 gang members, most just out of jail, healing the body, mind and spirit. We may be the only organisation that has 
a number of different colors under the one umbrella and this harmony. You can watch all our stories on Facebook and YouTube platforms as well as at newshub.co.nz. Kia mau ki te tūranga o taputapuatea. Haumi e, hui e, taiki e. Nā te puna whakatongarewa, te hui i tautoko.